Hello, welcome again. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from the studios of DTM Enterprises. The DTM is Dan the Man, and yes, that's a little corny, but uh, that's what we call my little wood shop I have in my backyard, and uh, which has doubled up as a podcast studio. You've probably heard that if you've been listening to the podcast. Uh, do a little commercial business real quick, spiritualunderground.org. That's where I have a website. You can see uh, show notes for this, links to the podcast, uh, pictures of the guests uh, when they choose to allow me to post a picture, and an email address if you want to contact me. Uh, it's dan at spiritualunderground.org. Uh, you can uh, reach out to me if you want help, if you want to be on a podcast, anything you think. I'm a pretty available guy, so reach out to me if uh, you need to do that. Uh, the music around the podcast is uh, by Darren Frank, and um, you've heard him on here. We've just been using his music, and he's going to have to get, him and Jesse need to get to producing some more music, because uh, I want some of that highly produced stuff. I got a ton of the stuff of just Darren and his guitar, uh, and it's good, too. Uh, and finally, TSSR, the 12-Step Spiritual Recovery, the book that uh, Christopher Cohn has written is now, uh, as you've heard, it is out on Amazon. It's also, like, I think maybe this is the first time on the podcast I've announced this. It's actually out on Kindle now so that you can get it in a Kindle format. And if you've already bought the hard copy book, uh, it will, they will give you a credit on your Kindle. They will discount that uh, when you buy both. Or if you buy both together, you get a discount on the Kindle edition. So uh, that is, once again, uh, it's 12-Step uh, Spiritual Recovery. Uh, James Christopher Cohn is the way it's listed on the uh, on Amazon and uh, go out and get that we've got a movement that have been having meetings for bringing the 12 steps to everybody uh, I have a special guest today I have a my booking agent Robin has been really helping me bring some new people in they was hear some voices besides uh, our inner circle and I want to make sure we're doing that and, uh, really welcome uh, Lisa tonight to come uh, on in the studio we've been sitting here talking for quite a while we had a little spent a little time in there playing with my pet rabbit before we could make it out to the to the studio here and uh, just really loving your energy so far I, uh, I just get a kick out of doing this I just get the I love you know I, I isolated when I drank and you know now it's like such a 180 because i just love to talk to people and get to know them today uh this whole thing about that that little thing about uh, the opposite of addiction is connection mm -hmm. uh so i try to connect with people and there's something that happens here at this podcast table mm -hmm. as somebody tells because ultimately like i feel like you're telling me like i am the sole audience mm -hmm. uh getting to hear this uh how are you tonight i'm good you can introduce you if you want to tell that we have a guest here or not uh, no okay, okay cool we've got a mysterious guest hanging out with us today just helping us with the energy levels uh, i think the more the merrier you know i like to, yes to to have a few people in here so yes. um what I usually, way I start is, uh, it's real important to me that people have a sobriety date. My sobriety date is important to me, and it just seems to be the little thing I've done to kick this thing off. And that doesn't mean that, uh, there's one guy actually started about the time his sobriety date was. That's where his story, you know, he circled back around and picked up some of the, uh, the older story along the line. But, uh, so what is your sobriety date, Lisa? My sobriety date is, uh, September the, uh, 19th of 2005 2005 and so um yeah 14 years coming up yeah third well yeah 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 13 and a half i guess yeah cool. um yeah congratulations that's uh yeah i was laughing when you said that because i think i was listening to a speaker that 
somebody was saying they stumbled on their sobriety. Yeah. Oh, I think that was you. Yeah, that was talking about you always have to know your sobriety date. Yeah, but, I did. That's you know, it's really just obviously just today. But yes. Yep, you're right. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like to have it in here because of the range of it. You know, I've had a couple of people in there um, around the one year, just right over the one year mark. You know, mm-hmm. and then I've had, I think, uh, well, my sponsor is celebrating in May 35, and Brandon was been in here. He celebrated 16 in, in February. So not so much as that the time is because, like you said, we only have a day at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a guy who doesn't have anything, <laughs> maybe sit and listen to one of these who has on real early, mm-hmm. uh, see that this swath mm-hmm. of recovery durations that we can do it for a long time. Uh, but there's also the dynamic, like that guy that's got 35, that's just a little too much to bite off when I'm brand new, mm-hmm. right? The guy that's just yeah, like got 30 that days happen. means yes. more to me because yes. that is a reachable, yes. oh, wow, that dude stayed for 30 yes. days. I, maybe I can see that. Uh, I could, that that 35 or even years and stuff. You know, I remember when I was around a guy celebrating two years. I thought, how in the world is that happening? Uh, yeah, and, you know, it's funny, though, because I have more respect for well, not respect. I guess I have more understanding of people that have long-term sobriety because it's clear to me in this stage that I'm closer than I ever was mm. to drinking. Uh-huh. Because when I was, you know, that first year, I just remember, I mean, you know, it was always about those markers, you know, that 30 days so and then focused. that 60 days and then that 90 days and then six months and, you know, and then nine months and yeah. And then that year, that wonderful. And then, yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how sobriety has, um, I guess to say evolution a lot, I don't know how I would say it, but it's, um, there have been different periods of my sobriety and that's what I think is the most interesting when you, when, when I talk to people that have long-term sobriety, it's like going through stages. Yeah. Because it's not linear. You think it's linear. You think when you get sober, it's going to be this way, and it's it's not. The only th- difference is is that you're not putting alcohol in. Yeah, life you know? is still going on. It's yes. still happening. Yes, you know, life on yes. life terms. Things are still going on. Very, very much so. And um, but there's nothing to there's not that quick fix. Yeah. You know. So yeah, yeah. And, and I think, um, <clears throat> in fact, I was talking. I've I've had a conversation. And I'll kind of go backwards, but I had a conversation with my sponsor about this, about doing the spot, the, the podcast, and because mm-hmm. I, I was a little apprehensive Good. about it. And Actually, something uh, I've started saying because I had somebody that declined, and they first initially said they would, and they reconsidered, and they said to me, I hadn't even asked my sponsor about it yet. And I was like, well, yeah. So now, like, when I get to my go, before you say yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> talk to your sponsor, please, mm-hmm. and pray on this and make sure this yes. is something you want to do. yes. Yes. I mean, and my only goal with being here, obviously, I love to talk about myself. Who doesn't? But no, but uh, to be honest, is just to maybe help say something that might help somebody, you know, even whether they're in the beginning or whatever it is, but something that they can relate to. Because I feel like for me, sobriety 100% saved my life. And like you said earlier, it's something that, um, and I'll close my eyes a lot. I do that just That's because okay. I forget to, my words a lot. Um, and But they're very important to me. But um, uh, there's so many people that are suffering from this disease and the disease of addiction that, you know, may 
that may never tell anybody about it. And, you know, it's it can be such a dark disease that... Um, it's got all the shame wrapped mm-hmm. up around it. And yes, and uh, I, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who's uh, actually going to school uh, to be... Uh, so, uh, she's going to go into social work. And she was actually giving me um, statistics behind it. And the statistics are crazy high for, um, you know, for, for addiction. And we talked about, um, and again, I know this is probably not going to be very, um, PC. (laughs) It's not very PC when I talk about it, but it has become increasingly clear to me that, uh, with saying that I have, uh, the disease of addiction, I also have a mental illness. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear that, but for me to say that also helps me to remember that I have to treat that on a daily basis because what I have in between my two ears is my biggest problem on any given day. Right. And, you know, I have to be very, very careful about that. So when I was thinking about coming here today, I was listening to some of your podcasts and I heard some of the, uh, some people would go back to their childhood. And I kind of really thought about this because, you know, over the years I've given, I've, I've, you know, given leads and I've told my story and sometimes I skirt the issue. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I try to say it in the best way that I can. But I can tell you that um, what happened to me as a child 100% formed me, but it didn't make me an alcoholic. And uh, um, my uh, parents... uh, my parents were uh, together, and um, I, I was born very early. I was born prematurely. I was born, I was only like three pounds, and mm, of course that wow. was, you know, 51 years ago, so that was pretty unusual, and uh, they had to put me in an incubator for, for you know, several months because um, I couldn't come out of the hospital, so when I finally did come home... Um, my mother, though she's never been diagnosed, she clearly has suffered from a major mental illness as well. But by the time I got home, she, uh, and just to give you some background on her, she had some really bad things happen in her life. You know, I firmly believe that hurt people hurt people. Yeah. I believe that with all my heart. And by the time I got home, she was, she was full of rage. And, uh, when I was about five months old, my dad came home and found, uh, one of my legs was hanging off of my body uh, in a weird manner. He came home from work, and uh, he was a traveling salesman, so he would be gone for the weekends and so on and so forth. And he came home, and I was crying uncontrollably. So they took me to the hospital, and they found out through an x-ray that every single one of my bones in my body had either been broken or was in the stage of healing. Oh and what they found out was that my mom, in order to hush me up, um, she would throw me up against the wall. Um, and, uh, th- this was a neighbor that told my dad this, and I didn't learn about any of this until much, much, much later in my life. But I say that, and uh, then, you know, of course, when I went to, uh, the hospital, they took me into, uh, child protective services. And of course this was 52, you know, 51 years ago. So they, um, they, you know, locked my mom up and then they, uh, they, <clears throat> They went through this process. I went into an orphanage for a period of time. And then they asked my dad. And my dad was so 
<laughs> my dad's such a good person and I'll get to this in a little bit but he's he's such a wonderful heart but they asked my dad what do you want to do and my mom of course you know professed that she was very sorry and you know, she would never do it again and and they asked my dad what he wanted to do and my dad said um can you release her to my custody and I'll make sure that she's okay and they did and then my mom and dad my mom you know professed her love and said that she would you know do right and she was terribly sorry and and my dad just wanted to keep the family together so he uh they 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 reunited and you know I went back into the home Mm -hmm. and I can tell you that um the the abuse never stopped but she never broke another bone she never broke another bone but it never ever ever stopped it was my my brother likened it one time to being in a concentration camp because it was never it any day I mean it wouldn't matter and uh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what I did or I didn't do. It was, she had, she just, but to be fair, my mom had to take care of her uh, uh, two little sisters when she was five years old. They were five, four, and three, and they were abandoned by their parents. So I believe that that having a little girl in her life, it just brought up all that, all of that, and she just couldn't do it. Yeah, we and know she that tried. that's not in, like, the nature of people. You know, there's this, this is a damage thing. This mm-hmm. is something that we're, we're, where our spirit got stepped on and we're, what we, what we learned. I have to grant people spiritual sickness. You know, that's what, in our hearts, that's not who we are. That's right. We don't do those things. But when that's you right. had your spirit stepped on, uh, like you said, hurt people can, well, hurt people. That's right. And, it's, I uh, mean, she amazing. did the best that, you know, it but I can tell you that my mom and dad got divorced and then my mom remarried and she really, I mean, she really tried. She tried to give us a good life. I mean, I was put into a Catholic school, you know, I was given a lot of really wonderful opportunities and that's how I'll tell you that I know that I suffered from a mental illness because none of that ever really mattered to me. Um, but I didn't know any of that at the time. I, uh, you know, I, I, I was on the swim team. You know, I, I, we were, I mean, as normal as normal could be, I guess. Because meanwhile, you know, she's in a very abusive marriage. And then, you know, she's getting beat. She's beating me. And, you know, my brother's kind of on the outside. And he's kind of like. This is just you and your brother? Yeah. So he's, you know, he's kind of the safe, you know. He, he never, he never, he never was the uh, recipient of it. Hmm. Um because, like I said, I think it just was a female thing for her. My mom is still alive, but I don't, I don't speak with her anymore. Um, that was a conscious decision, and I've talked to my sponsor about mm-hmm. it. But I'll get into that, um, too. Um, and that was through so, a lot of work, a lot of work. And I do a very highly, 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 in fact, I think everybody that I work with in the program, um, as far as sponsorship, we do, uh, I, I highly recommend outside help. Because uh, AA is not, you know, AA is meant for one thing and one thing only. And I believe in outside help. I believe in getting the help that you need yeah, through amen. the right, you know, the right sources. Because you can get all kinds of things in AA, but the you have to be very careful. To do that. Yes, yes. Page one hundred and thirty-two. <laughs> nah, I don't know the. I didn't I know do. the. I don't. I, I probably will never be God a big book the world toter. <laughs> I, I have a, you know, I'd have told you a long time ago that I my memory wasn't good and I can't remember names and all that, but uh-huh. that was all bullshit uh, because I remember a great deal of things today, yeah. you know, yeah. that I never thought I would. But yeah. you know the part in there that says that you need to 
to don't you know to use these people these practitioners of various kinds that's to right help us during or before and after our cases you know so that's exactly yet, right yeah somebody says the AA is enough and you don't need anything else so the book says different <laughs> oh very 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 I don't think AA can you know I don't think that people that have had the the, the the amazing lives that we have now I don't think could have been done all alone I mean it's it's yeah. clear you know my my uh my sponsor is a counselor at the same time so I got this little double oh thing nice on. uh he's primarily a CD counselor but it's got he's uh it's got a lot of knowledge to pass on to me that's that's helped beyond what maybe you know I'm able to deliver for being an engineer <laughs> yeah yeah and that's what i mean my counselor he's he's dealt with quite a few people i mean he knows addiction very well and he knows the 12 steps and we'll go back and forth on them cool but he um and he understands why i'm so devoted to them because there's sometimes where he'll say you know well what don't you think but then you know i mean it's just uh for me having that extra a added layer of somebody that uh, has been to school and understands, you know, human psychology kind of makes sense as to why we do what we do. So, um, but the, uh, uh, you know, the, I, like I said, it was a pretty normal, you know, for what it could be normal childhood. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, was, I had to stop for a second because you know, <laughs> but that is what we do, right? We oh, will say holy, that that was normal. Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I remember, in fact, when you said, when I said that, I thought, you know, the only time it was ever really normal is when we got to go, or we would go out of town or we would go to the, uh, go to a hotel and, um, uh, that was when my mom would want to escape my, her uh, her husband. We would go and stay at a hotel, and I re- still to this day I love the smell of chlorine because like that's that's how I associated I was safe. Like when we would go to these hotels. So I mean I love it's it's bizarre bleach. It's just very bizarre. But um, yeah, I mean yeah, I think <laughs> that sense of smell is an unreal thing. How you will associate smells with things that will bring back feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was like it's, it's like a sense people, of security. Like I, th- I know the kids, they they probably thought I was nuts because I was cleaning all the time. <laughs> to <laughs> get that like, funny too. Yeah, yeah, but I like the smell of chlorine. Yeah, some people burn incense and candles. <laughs> I clean. <laughs> yeah, bleach and yeah, it is. That's it's yeah, yeah, it's but it's comforting. I but can see. I can. I totally get that. It's, totally. it's and I don't think I've ever put the two and two together until just now. But, but you know, the thing that you said normal, you know, I mean, it does. It becomes normal for mm-hmm. us. That was my normal mm-hmm. life. That was your normal mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was how was I survived. No, <laughs> no, no. It was how I survived. I mean, you know, it was it was survival. It really was. And um, you know, I uh, like I heard you. Uh, I, I think that's so interesting because I, I somebody I heard somebody on one of your podcasts say, well, you know. As an alcoholic, you know, I remember my first drink and people that are not alcoholic, they would never. And I think that's so funny because it's so very true. I do. I remember. I remember it. I mean, I was like eight years old and it was just a company. I mean, not a company. It was a family Christmas party. And I remember it. I remember the way that it made me feel. I remember it very vividly. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was I was eight and, you know, I had whatever a glass of wine and then that was it. And, you know, it didn't occur to me again. But I did know that 
I mean, the time that I was growing up, like I said, I went to a parochial school. So, you know, my, my parents provided very well. Now, my dad was off and on in the picture, but not really. He was more off than he was on, and I'll explain why later. But um, he... Because your mom had remarried. Yes, she had remarried, and um, he... Um, he was kind of in and out. I would we would go and visit uh, for. I called him the Chevy Chase of fathers because he would. All he wanted us to do when we saw him is to have fun. He would take us to amusement parks, to the ocean. He only just wanted us to laugh. He wanted us to have fun, and he was good at that. He made it. He made it a good time. But um, while I was going to this parochial school and you know learning all about you know religion and um the whole time i can tell you i don't have a lot of memories of my childhood i certainly you know i I can remember bits and pieces obviously i don't remember the abuse which um when i was talking to my my uh, therapist and my sponsor the other day i i I, it, it dawned on me that i was given a gift and not being able to remember the abuse because I don't know that I would be alive today if I right. did. Yeah, I believe that I would have. I would have just. I would have suffered from self pity. <laughs> I really do. I believe I would have. I would have ultimately just ended up killing myself accidentally yeah. from self pity. Because if you knew, if you went through what I did, then you would be doing this too. Yeah. And you know, my yeah. body remembers, but I don't. And I think that's that was a blessing in 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 a very large way. Um, but uh. While I was in school, I, um, I remember, I remember, I, you know, it was a pretty small school. It was, uh, over there off of Hikes Lane and wasn't a lot of families there. You know, it was during the time there was, there was still a lot of segregation, you know, here in Louisville and they, um, you know, I remember looking at all the other little girls and thinking that they've got something that I don't have. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was different. I didn't know what it was. I just knew I didn't fit in. And I tried. I tried. I, I mean, I tried to the best of my ability. But I, 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 st- I just didn't know what I was missing. I didn't. I couldn't figure it out. I just knew that it didn't. It just it wasn't. I what. It wasn't really clicking. I mean, I had some friends. I had some girlfriends, but they weren't really close. I just felt like an oddball. And uh. I can tell you that um, the summer between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year was a pivotal summer. When I was I was thirteen years old, um, of course my my birthday's in October, so I was always early. Um, so between that twelfth and thirteenth birthday, I I was gonna I was gonna go on to a parochial high school, and uh, you know I thought I was all grown up, <laughs> and. Uh, I found boys, and I found alcohol, and I found drugs in the same summer, almost all on the same night, and, um, you know, it was, I can tell you that pretty much from the get-go, when I drank, I drank to blackout. I can tell you that, um, you know, I was 12 and 13 years old, and I mean, I, that was my, I mean, that was literally my pastime, was going to find, you know, where were we going to go drink that night, or where were we going to go that weekend, or who was I going to be able to hook up with, or what was I going to be able to do, that was all that would my, that was all that I could think about, 
It was about uh, how young we were. Oh, Do you say between the eighth and ninth grade? Yes. It's about the same time I made my transition too. Yeah, and I was in a big fat hurry to grow up. I was in a big fat hurry. And the other thing that I can tell you is that, um, you know, it was right around that time that I, 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 uh, <laughs> I have this, I had this penchant for running away. I mean, mm. there was nothing I could do in my household, but I could change it. So I would run away and I would stay gone. I mean, it was crazy. I still have dreams about it, but I would stay gone and I would, I would befriend these girls that would be up the street and, you know, their mothers would feel sorry. I was great at manipulating. <laughs> so, stay with somebody. yeah, I'd get, I'd get their moms to open their doors and, you know, let me stay with them. And I'd be staying right down the street from where I, where my mom was and, you know, I mean, and I mean, as many things as I could say, I mean, she, she really, you know, I mean, she was worried. I mean, it was horrible what yeah. the family had to go through. Cause I mean, when I stayed gone, I would stay gone for long periods of time and I was partying hard during that time. Um, you know, as much as I could, I, I did finish, uh, I did not, I, I actually, at the parochial school, ninth grade, uh, from ninth to tenth grade, my uh, I flunked out. I flunked out on the easiest thing ever. It's so funny because I, I hear people tell this the, this part in their story as well, but it was like study skills. It was like, you know, you flunking art. You know, how do you do that? How, yeah. Flunking PE. But I didn't want to, I decided I didn't want to write a paper. Um, but, um so I didn't, and my mom said, you know, we're not going to pay for you to go to, uh, to go on to parochial high school. We're going to put you at, uh, Seneca. And I said, that's perfectly fine with me. And, uh, you know, I thought I was going to have it made there because, uh, assumption I would, oh, I shouldn't have said that, but I would, I would, you know, li- I would literally my whole plan when I would get to school was when I could leave. I hung out with the girls that partied just like I did. And yeah. we would go hang out at a, a gas station and sit in a gas station all day long and <laughs> smoke cigarettes. That was the big thing. You know, I learned, I remember learning how to smoke a cigarette thinking I was really tough. Nicotine was my first drug. Oh, I just, re- I remember, I still vivid, like I said, I don't have many memories, but I vividly remember uh, teaching myself in front of a mirror how to inhale a cigarette so I could look cool. So you could look cool doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ain't that a trip? Yes. Yes. So I was. I was. I see people smoking, and I think, uh, do you know how dumb you look? (laughs) I don't care how cool you might think you look. Uh, I can tell you that I have been smoke free for, I don't know, eight, ten years. Really? Maybe even longer. Yeah, it's tough. But I can tell you that there are times where I smell a cigarette, and it still comes back to me. I've been off nicotine for, I actually keep track of the days because of the way I quit. I still betrayed day counts. And I thought it was a little funny at first, but you know, it really comes down to just like what we have here. We just got a day. Yeah. So day at a time, uh, yeah. I do that. So I know I'm 547 days off of nicotine. Dang. I primarily dipped. Yeah. Which like when most people go, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But yeah, so I know to the day, which that's just shy, what, October will make two years. So it's wow. a year and a half or something off of nicotine and it was hard. Yeah. Yeah, right it in is. smoking. It's just, I mean, both of them get you though, and uh, it uh, coming off of nicotine was to for this guy was ever bit as uh, an imbalance in my mm-hmm. psychological state mm-hmm. as coming off of the alcohol and the drugs. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some really weird stuff coming off of nicotine that are totally outside of my character. Uh, some rage mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and I'm not that guy most mm-hmm. of the time. I understand. It's that, that, that thin veil. Yes, I understand. So, yeah, you're so, you, you've been off cigarettes long enough. You don't even remember how long it's been exactly. No, I can't remember. I remember that at the very at the very end, I had tried to quit smoking, and um, it, I just didn't. I mean, I, that is one of those things with drinking, and I'll get to that. But drinking, I pretty much, I had um, a huge aha moment in my life. But smoking was not so much because yeah, yeah, it was so. Nice. It was you know it was so much more socially acceptable, I guess. And uh, <clears throat> you know, back to that. Uh, that, that 13 to 16 time frame in my life, you know, when I was running away and causing as much havoc as I possibly could. I mean, I was pretty hard on my, my family. And uh, my mom had uh, had divorced the, the gentleman that she had been married to, and she got remarried. And this guy um, suffered from the disease of alcoholism. And so this he brought... The third? Yes. So he brought in... Uh, Actually, this was the fourth. We oh, had really? one, one in the middle. One in there. That <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't wasn't yeah. worth noting. Yeah, I think that's how <laughs> she met the fourth. But uh, anyway, um, but he brought in, uh, he brought in, uh, he brought in the disease of alcoholism, and he brought in the dis- he brought in the uh, the uh, the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh yeah. Uh, so he, yeah, because they she met him through a treatment center or something. I don't. I don't remember the full story, but the thing is, is that um, even at that young age, I was introduced to um, Alateen. Mm. So I was, you know, I was, I remember being a teenager and chairing Alateen meetings, but then I'd leave there and, you know, go get way messed up. I mean, it was, it was, it was absolutely, I remember that very, very vividly. Um, Did it compute at all? Or no, never even. Yeah. No, it was like, like he's the, an alcoholic. Uh, there's no way I am. And when you said that to me earlier, you know, you said uh, I knew I was an alcoholic. And I mean, I can tell you with every fiber of my being, I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't know. This is rearview mirror knowing. Yeah. You know, now I see back yeah. at the time. Yeah. No. I had, n- I mean, not even a clue. So when I was 16, you know, um, I was encouraged to get a job as soon as possible. And I did. And I found the restaurant business. And boy, did I find my, I found my family. Oh, I found my family. And I found people that drank and smoked and partied just like I did. And I loved it. And, uh, you know, I, I barely graduated. I graduated. Um, I like that term. Yeah, barely. Yeah, I graduated when I was six. I mean, seventeen. So I graduated early, and then I I had a full grant, and I don't usually talk about that, but I had a full grant to U of L. Full grant. Couldn't couldn't make it to class. Was too. Uh, it was too important to me to go. I would literally go down to U of L, and then I would take a bus back over to, um, like the Highlands area, and hang out with one of my friends, and sit on his porch and smoke cigarettes and smoke pot i mean it was it didn't even i mean it was a blip in my radar the fact that i was not going to school and And you uh, handed this gift and i think there's a little bit of something with that that like not having any skin in the game in a way yes not worth something you know i didn't even it didn't even it didn't even register to me what i was throwing away didn't even i would give my eye teeth to have a, 
a college, I mean, a college degree. Yeah. I, I've been back a couple times, but never graduated. Yeah, I checked the some college box. Yeah, that's exactly right. Some classes. I mean, mine have been life classes. I mean, that's one of my goals, and one day have a, a college degree. But, um, you know, and during that time, I was 17, and uh, I had to go to my mom, and I told her that I had quit college, um, that I would flunked out, and that I was moving out. I couldn't wait to move out. You know, I hear kids talk about, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be something, you know, when they, when they grow up. And all I knew that is, I just wanted to grow up. That was all I wanted to do. I didn't have any aspirations. I just wanted to grow up. I never really thought about long term. I still don't, really. I kind of walk through life. It's, yeah, sometimes. I do the day to time thing yeah. to the point that it bothers a lot of the people around yeah. me. Like, yeah. What are you doing tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I talk to my dad. And he'll be like, well, you know that holiday's in two weeks. I'm like, dad, don't. Yeah, right. Don't do that. Because Way too far out. Yes. It's, this is just today. And I, I, I still do that a whole lot. I walk around with black. I, I, I kind of did that with the steps, and I'm kind of glad that I did. Because if I'd known what was in front <laughs> yeah, of me. It's a blessing there. We tell people, yeah. right? stay in the step you're on. Yeah, I mean, stay right. And it's hard to How remember that. make amends on? You're yeah. not making amends. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to remember where, right where you are, right at that time. And it's, it's, it's hard, but. We get trained with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that everybody needs this, but, you know, I mean, there is a. There's a pretty, a real global philosophy of stay in the moment, mm-hmm. and, you know, live where your feet are at, you know. Uh, yes, I believe that. And I believe that as a society, we're, we're kind of geared not to do that. It's very, I mean, it's, it's, it's a mind, it's, it's very hard to do. But it's also for me, it's a kind of a safety mechanism. Because the truth is, is I, I can't, it. I can't, you know, I, 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 sponsees will say, you know, well, they know that this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I'll, I'll, I'll tease them and I'll say, well, if you know that's going to happen, then I think we should go ahead and go buy a lottery ticket because that means, you know, the winning numbers for tonight and we're going to win because I don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. Yeah. And, you know, so, but, um, so you know, like I said, I found the restaurant business when I was 19 or 20. I found uh, fine dining. You know, I graduated and went into bartending. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, Perfect. that was, that was, oh, that was my bestest, bestest friend. And I, uh, during that time, I was still suffering. Well, I should say when I was 21, um, I had this wake up moment. And if anybody hears this story, and they're right around this age. Maybe you can hear this. But I was 21, partying like it was nobody's business. I was out living out on my own. I had my own apartment by this time. And I had a, um, an accident where I had injured my hand. And I had injured it badly enough that I had to, I think I had to go to the hospital. But I know I had to tell my parents. And this was my, my, my stepdad that was an AA and then my mom. So, you know, they kind of looked at this and they said, you know, <laughs> looks like a duck, talks like a duck, <laughs> quacks like a duck, might be a duck. So um, they said, <clears throat> maybe you should think about going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm 21 years old. How, in the, how would I ever have a problem? 
but I can tell you that um, my stepdad from uh, from that was the year of ninety two. He wrote, he gave me a big book. I still have that big book. That's the only one I have. And um, they wrote in there. You know, they wrote. Uh, you know, we hope you find the happiness that you're looking for. Mm. And my mom, you know, she as many things as I could say negative about her, she would say to me everything. I mean, she was she is a wonderful person. She really is. She just you know, had a, a mental thing, <laughs> but she would say to me, everything you need, Lisa, is right inside of you. Yeah. And, you know, I, cause I was always looking outside to find it every time. And, uh, so I was bar, you know, I was, uh, bartending and I had this fatal accident with my hand, not fatal, but I had to go and get it looked at. And they, uh, my dad, uh, my stepdad took me to an AA meeting and, uh, I was at the token club and it was at the time that they could still smoke up there. And it was, oh, it was the most foreign thing that I'd ever been in. And I mean, talk about, you know, I could, there was no way to identify. I just, I looked around the rooms. I shut down completely, ran out of there as fast as I could. But the one thing I'll tell you is that big book that I had, I moved probably eight, nine times. Every time I moved, I brought that big book with me. Every, it wasn't even a question. Do I take it? Do I leave it? Do I, I brought it. Wow. Didn't know why. Had no idea. Yeah, that's cool. I love, but, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I had nothing. I didn't even understand. I didn't understand. But... um so, uh, you know, it's a little our, like a, I, I will put little funny things in my head. You know, it's like it's tied on a thread. You can't drop it you mm-hmm. know, everywhere you go. There it is. It's still coming with me. Yeah. I don't really know. But the weirdest there things. It is. I, I moved mean, to here, moved to there. And there mm-hmm. that thing is. That could be like a movie thing where you look over and you're like, how'd that get here? <laughs> <laughs> it was weird, though, because it was just like it was always there. But I never really paid attention to it. Yeah. I didn't open it. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. But, but it, uh, knew you, it knew you were going to need it someday. Well, and that's what I call dipping your toe in. Because I see so many people come in and dip their toe in. And I'm so grateful for that. Because that's what it takes sometimes to know that it's, you know, the program is there when you need it. Yep. It's called, you know, just to know that just to have that, that comfort that it is there. And that's what I did. I dipped my toe in. And I left there and I uh, tried to continue on with my life. And uh Still looking for that answer, just looking for something to make me whole. Something's going to make me whole. Um, and uh, <laughs> I thought that, uh, you know, obviously I thought that a man was going to make me whole. I thought a relationship would make me whole. And I, uh, I met my children's dad. Um, and I obviously, you know, like every, <sighs> I always did everything backwards. But I got pregnant first with my son. And then I got married. And uh, I thought for sure that 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 marriage was going to make me whole. I thought we were going to really. I did. I thought we were going to be the, you know, the cleavers. <laughs> and uh, you know, he married me, and I mean, I can tell you nothing but wonderful things about that man because he did he did a very selfless act. He married me. We had my son, and uh, you know, I think we tried to convince each other ourselves more than anything that we were in love. But I, I don't know that that really was part of the equation. I knew that we were doing the best that we could. And uh, we were going to try to make a, a normal life. And uh, not long after we, uh, not long after my son was born, um, I found out I was pregnant with my daughter. So I had two children. Um, they were 14 months apart. And uh, 
and then my husband at the time and he worked a very very hard job he worked long hours he was great at supporting the family and uh, at one point we had decided that maybe it was time for me to go back to work and he gave me this wonderful blessing of being home with with my children uh, for about two years um, so I got to spend some you know the 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 the, the very early childhood I got to spend with them yeah, and it was cool. nice because I got to be with my daughter and you know I got to be with my son and and you know we had a quote-unquote normal life but I can tell you I mean and again this is going to be very controversial but I can tell you and I heard somebody on your podcast that said that they had stopped drinking when they were pregnant I I can tell you that I didn't you know I remember my son coming or not my son I remember my husband would come home uh, from work and we would go and we would get, lock ourselves in the bathroom and I would smoke a cigarette and I would have a glass of wine maybe but um, you know it was I just remember that was my treat it was always that way it's always been that way you know how are you going to get your um, pleasure <laughs> your satisfaction and uh, yeah, your fix yeah my fix that's right that's right um, yeah that's right um what I've come to find out is that I will I'll probably always need that fix. I mean, I can get it in different ways. I can get it in, uh, you know, through the steps. I can get it through a, a higher power. I can get it, most of all, I can get it by getting outside of myself. Yep. That's the best. That's yep. the best fix that I've had so far. And that's the one that I've found to be the most uh, rewarding. But it's also the most permanent because sugar... <laughs> just makes me fat <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I still love it but um I uh you know we we had those two kiddos and 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 my husband at the time and uh he we decided that I was going to go back to work so what did I know how to do but I knew how to bartend so I would go to work uh I worked in a very small restaurant and uh he would come home at night and then when he came home I would leave so I would go and bartend and um uh, you know, I would sit up after work. That was my thing. I would sit up with the girls after work and have a couple glasses of wine. You know, never, never even dawned on me that there was an issue. Uh, and then, you know, meanwhile, he would be home taking care of the kids. You know, he was, he was a good dad. And, uh, but our, our, our marriage was, it was doomed to fail. One, I believe that with all of my heart. We were married, I think, almost five years. Well, we got married in 93. Three and I think no we didn't even make it five years because I remember the year 97 was probably one of the most the hardest years I'd ever lived through and the kids were so young they were three and four but um <clears throat> during that time I'd also found uh, a restaurant that uh, allowed me to, to be a day bartender and that restaurant was so good to me um and the patrons that came into that restaurant were so good to me my kids pretty much grew up in that restaurant really and uh, the patron, it was a local restaurant. It was, you know, it was family owned. It was very small. And uh, I was paid very well. And, uh, you know, the, you know, uh, their dad had, you know, he, he provided support. Um, but, uh, you know, we were, we were allowed a, a pretty nice life. I found a, a nice home uh, where they could go into, uh, you know, a, a nice school we could stay in the district it wasn't you know it was just but it was a it was a good school system and uh you know I tried to make things as normal as possible but I can tell you that during that time my favorite thing to do was I always called it um 
I would sweep everything up into a pile. So like I would, it would, everything, everything in my life would go in two week increments because every other weekend was when they would go to see their dad. And I'll, I I would say, uh, I would say a lot that, uh, I would say, uh, I only drank when my kids were gone. And I remember saying that one time in front of my son or my daughter and they looked at me and they said, no, 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 no. You know, you drank every night. And I, I think, you know, I, there was a point in my life where Miller Lite and, and Marlboro Lights were my very best friend. Because I would come home and I would have a, I would always have a Miller Lite. Never always. Always. Oh, and Marlboro Lights. There were, that was my, that was my, I would go to the bathroom and I would take a bath and I would take, have a couple beers and then everything would be leveled out. And, um. But when the kids would go away on the weekends, it was the same thing. It was just like playing a tape. It was like the same thing. I mean, definition of of insanity. It was crazy. Well, this went on for 18 years. Same thing. Uh, Friday night, always the same thing. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a dinner with my girlfriends. Or if I was dating somebody, we were going to go out and have dinner. And, uh, you know, by 8 o'clock, I usually didn't know my name. I mean, my, my goal from the time that I started drinking was to black out. I wanted to get to the point where I could shut my brain down. And that's what I did. Mm. I didn't get a driver's license until I was 21 or 22. And that was only because I was pregnant and I had to drive. (laughs) 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 I didn't want to drive because I knew it was too much responsibility. I didn't want to get a, I didn't want to get, I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble drinking and driving. I just, I took the tarp bus wherever I went because I was, my, my, my goal was to stay as, as, pretty much as it's inebriated as possible that, yeah. yeah and we introduced some responsibility in our lives around some of that stuff that's really interesting <sighs> to you. probably kind of pat yourself on the back about it too you know i don't drive <sighs> oh yeah yeah i thought that was <laughs> cool <become> hero. <laughs> yeah i thought that was cool i mean i would work in this fine dining restaurant we would get off work and uh you know the what, what were you gonna do you know at two o'clock and they you know 12 o'clock at night what were you gonna do you couldn't go home so you know we just sit there and drink until four and five o'clock in the morning but um that was early on but then when the kids you know when the kids came along then my drinking you know i would it was always the same and by eight o'clock you know on that friday night it would be it would be crazy and uh you know four o'clock the next morning it would be like you know who's that and where am i and what the hell what happened and uh <laughs> what am i gonna do now and then the next morning god you know that's one of the things that i related to very very in the very beginning was the um the four horsemen <laughs> terror bewilderment and you know frustration that was what i, I mean it was the whole weekend was spit would be spent that way because saturday would be spent trying to put the pieces back together and make myself feel better because i mean god those hangovers and then sunday would be you know spent trying to make everything look perfect again it was always that outside image that i was so worried about Hmm. i thought if it all looked okay on the outside then nobody was going to look on the inside and uh, it's interesting i I feel the same but i never put it in that in that way that i purposely were was packaging that yeah I le- that's how I lived my life for 18 years, 18 years. And then the year of the spring of 2005, that restaurant that I worked for, uh, finally closed down. They, uh, the two partners got in a huge fight and they shut the restaurant down. It was a complete blow to me, even though, I mean, it was probably time to move on. 
And uh, I, had, I had broken up with a guy that I'd been dating. I thought we were going to get married, and that was not the case. And uh, in the spring of 2005, I had an intuition. And I still remember that. I don't remember a lot, but I remember that I had an intuition that um, it was going to end badly. I knew something was going to end really badly, but I didn't know what. I had no, I couldn't put my finger on it. And um, on, uh, I, you know, I, I found another job. It was, you know, working in the same uh, profession as a bartender. And the thing that I would always do is I would serve these. I had a, I had a wonderful following and they would come in daily and I would think they have a problem. <laughs> They have a problem. Yeah. They're alcohol. I didn't. I don't know that I put the word alcoholic on that, but I knew that they. I was different than yeah. them. These people here are. Yeah, they're is, yeah. This is the true alcoholic, but they didn't know that what I would do well, is when I would go home. Yeah, I would go home and just get yeah, yeah. And when it can't started, see ourselves, man, you just you just can't see yourself. No, but everybody Still else can't, did. Really, everybody I still need help did. seeing me. Oh my gosh. Well, when I, uh, when, uh, the kid's dad and I, we had a, um, we had a horrible, horrible custody battle for many, many years. And I remember one of the times, one of the last times he took me to court, he had like 24 reasons of why he wanted custody. And the very first reason on there was she's an alcoholic. And that was the most foreign thing. I mean, he could have said, you know, she has. She's from Mars. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he could have said that she has four ears, and I'd have been like, what in the hell is he talking about? Well, how does he know that? Well, he knows that because he spent the time with my children. You know, they were the ones they would go home. You know, they. <laughs> he was just speaking the truth, but I had no idea, none. And uh, anyway, that uh, that was about four years before I got sober, that last, that last, uh, that last uh, custody battle and that worked i mean it worked out the way that it did but uh the the summer of two th- or excuse me the spring of 2005 uh 2005 and then uh the date um that was a september the 18th it was a sunday and uh i think that uh something had happened with the with the visitation so the kids weren't coming home until monday evening and one of my friends from the restaurant that I worked at, we started out at, at a local bar right around the corner. No, we started out in my backyard. <laughs> and then we went on to the local bar. And uh, I, I still have bits and pieces in my head of what happened. You know, just tiny bits and pieces. Because, I, I mean, I was, I was clearly, I think I was blacked out by early, early evening. Um, and, you know, just doing absolutely insane things. And, uh... I was told that I left that bar that night with two men that I didn't know. But <clears throat> what I remember was coming to on the backside of my neighborhood. And when I came to, um, I looked up and uh, there was a, a, a car in front. There was a truck in front of me. Um, and I had hit that truck head on but when I came to that was when that was literally that last impact that that jolted me out of that blackout and I thought because the car was facing the wrong way on that road and what that car did that truck did was he had stopped my uh he had stopped me from going out onto Hurstburn Lane um but when I came to um I thought that he had hit me 
and what I, I came to find out is that um, I left that local bar, which was maybe two or three blocks from my house, and I, I, was, I drove home in a complete blackout. And I came down the backside of my neighborhood, and I hit f- four parked cars. And uh, hit them like a like an eight ball. I pinged off one and pinged, and then went on to another. And I drive down that street every day now, and I think about that. And uh, there's a speed limit sign, and they said I was probably doing forty, and it was it's a twenty five. Mm-hmm. And there was a little dogwood tree, and I remember um, that tree was there forever. And I just uh, I don't think that there were any coincidences in my life. But when I came to after hitting that last car, I had no idea what happened. There was blood all over the car. Um, the, the airbag had gone off. And uh, I got out of the car and there was blood all over me. I didn't have my shoes on. Um, first responders were there. And I didn't know if I had a passenger. I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea what happened. And they put me in the ambulance. And they took me to the hospital because what I found out was I didn't have my seatbelt on. So I, I, my body actually launched across the car and I, I did something crazy on my, I, I still have a, scal- uh, a, a scar on my scalp. So I can always remember it. I see it right in front of me every single day. But um, I hit the armrest or something. So um, I had to go and get stitches. And when I, when I was in the hospital... They came in and they did a blood alcohol level on me. And for my size, I was, you know, very small, very petite. I think it was like a .28 or something like that. It was, I was, it was lethal for where I was. And they figured out that I had, I had actually built my tolerance up to this stage. But I remember being in the hospital and uh, there was one thing that I remember very, very clearly. Of course, I was crying, feeling sorry for myself. How was I, you know, what was I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And of course, the car was totaled. And I remember the ER nurse, she came over to me and because I was so full of shame. And she grabbed my hand and she, she, she looked at me and she said, Honey, I want you to know something. And I'll never forget her for saying this. She said, I want you to know that you are not a bad person. You're a sick person. And I had no idea what the hell she was saying. But I'll never forget her for saying that. Mm. And um, what I can tell you is, is that, you know, I, I left that hospital. And, um, you know, I had in between all of this time of having children and getting married and getting a divorce. And all my life I was still seeking the, the answer. I had tried uh, church. I tried every denomination I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> the only church I, I mean I'd never been in a synagogue but I was kind of thinking about it's it on the list. <laughs> uh, yeah if I could have got but I, I mean I went to every every faith there was I remember I dated a guy that was, was very deep into the Baptist faith and I thought this is going to be it for me and but it you know I could never find quite find it because I still had that Catholic break, upbringing of of what I thought was my was was my religion. That was your roots was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Very 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 staunch it's Catholic. Typical yeah. around here. Yeah. Oh, very much so. And my my grandparents, my my uh, fa- my grandfather was. A st- I mean, he was. He was very. He and the Pope would have been very good friends. <laughs> he he was he was a good Catholic. He was very, my, my, I should say that my mother was adopted. I should have said that I, I, very early on. My, my mother was adopted, her and her, her, her two sisters, after they got out of that horrible 
uh, where she did my mom was actually abandoned when she was five years old by her parents and uh, but she was later on adopted by my grandparents my grandparents are just absolutely wonderful people they were older and they they knew what they wanted in their lives and they adopted these three girls and you know tried to make a normal life for them but my grandfather was very 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 much into his religion I mean he he was he my, I couldn't say I can't say, say anything negative about my grandfather he's just a wonderful person but um so they he brought into that into our lives the catholic religion and that's how we grew up and yeah. uh you know i, I went well, you said you went to catholic school yes i went to catholic school and there. i remember go, we would have to go to pre uh to uh, uh mass oh i remember it or we'd have to go to mass you know twice a week and i just remember i remember clearly many times I would think the people that were sitting next to me in the pew and the, the kids that I was going to, to church with or the adults or whoever, I just would always think that they were the normal people, that the people that were outside, you know, mowing their lawns on a Sunday afternoon, they were the normal people. I was just, I was, I knew that I was just something from outer space. Yeah, something's wrong with me. I knew. I mean, it was just not, I knew. So I spent all this time, and I actually had started going to therapy um, when I was in my 20s, but I was never, ever, I used to get pissed when I'd go to a therapist or to a new doctor, and they would ask you, how many alcohol drinks do you, (laughs) I mean, how much do you drink? And I'd be like, whose business is that? How much do you smoke? What do you care? I was never honest with that. About, and I was never honest with my therapist about my drinking ever. Yep. So I never really got the help that I needed. Because if I had been, then obviously this would be way different. Yeah, it's interesting that people get, you know, we get diagnosed and get prescribed and all this kind of things for thing for, for whatever, you know, doctors are doing the best they can. But we're not telling them the truth, you know. So you, you don't tell them that you're drinking a quart of depressant a day. You know, or, That's exactly you know, right. I would I would go into the doctor and I'd be like, they're going to tell me I have, you know, this deadly disease. And I would walk away and they'd tell me you have IBS. And I would get so angry. Like, I know I have more than IBS. I know I have more than IBS. And, you know, the truth was is my insides were rotting out. I mean, yeah. I was drinking myself to the, you know. My, my, I firmly believe, and I, I mean, this wasn't until maybe, maybe two or three years ago that I'd gotten a hold of uh, the, uh, the uh, Joe and Charlie tapes, mm-hmm. and where they talk about what happens in the body of an alcoholic yeah. versus the body of an alcoholic, and I, I mean, I, I direct people to that because I think it's very important to know physiologically what happens to the body, what happens to our livers. What happens to our pancreas that's different than the body of a non-alcoholic? Because it starts to make a little bit more sense. Yep. And it really lands for a lot of people. Yes. Yes. It does. Because, yes. Because there's things, I mean, it goes back to that. I remember when I first got sober, and just like everybody else, you know, people would say, it's just control. It's just control. It's just control. What they didn't know is that once I started, I was not going to stop. I knew that. I knew that. And I would tell myself, you're going to stop. You're yep. going to stop. You're going to have one beer and you're going to stop. Yep. But I didn't. Yeah. I knew I wouldn't. I knew I wouldn't. Well, I, I, and I've said that on here before, I think, but the two, uh, there's two distinct differences in like the, the insanity of the first drink to me. There was that one back when I didn't really know that that's really what it was doing. Although I did know that once, you know, I needed to like clear my calendar kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, that once yeah. I started, yeah. but I didn't really get the real point of it. And then I came into AA and I got some, you know, how we say it messes up your drinking or whatever, you know, uh, get a belly full of, 
or a head full of AA and a belly full of beer. And but those that was really where the insanity really I remember because I remember staring at like the empty can, a can is closed, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing at this point y'all taught me that mm-hmm. when I open this up, then you know that's going to spin the top mm-hmm. and we don't know where the top is going to stop. And that was when the insanity of the first drink really got scary when I would sit there and go, okay, and then pop that first one, knowing that, knowing that I didn't know where it was going to take me. Mm-hmm. But uh, spooky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me that I, I remember listening to a speaker tape and he, he, I don't know if it was, it was. I can't even remember. It was, I want to say it was Bill or Dr. Bob or one of them was talking about the, the beer actually, you know, talking to them mm. from down in the, in the cellar. And I mean, I can so understand that. Yeah. I just went through that with a friend who uh, drank just uh, within weeks of his one year anniversary. I, yeah. did, I talked about it on the podcast the other day on it when I did just on a monologue. And, and to me, that's what happened. You know, he had that out in the garage. Yeah. And it's out there going, hey, yeah. I'm in here. Yeah. Don't forget about me. Yeah. Don't forget about me. Yeah. That stuff talks to me, too. Yeah. Uh, I hear pills rattle in somebody's purse that talks to me. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever, did you, I didn't hear any drugs in your story? Uh, I was, uh, I mean. Besides smoking grass. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was recreational drug use, but I can tell you that, I mean, it was only by the grace of God because when I was, when I was drinking, I would do, I mean, if you, if, I mean, it's just by the grace of God that I'm not a heroin addict yeah. because I would have done it. I'd have, I'd have done crap. I mean, I'd have done it. I didn't care. You, you got it. I'll take it. Yeah. It was just that was not in front of me. You know, it was just purely by the grace of God. Alcohol was the, my, 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 was my drug of choice, I guess. But anything that would take me away from me, I mean, yeah. I would do it. So it didn't really matter. Um, alcoholism was what I identify with, but more than anything, it's addiction and, you know, it's mental illness. And that's where I had to be very clear. So what I was, uh, you know, after my DUI, I was very clear that something had to change, and this was within days of itself. Uh, I, my brother had, I finally told my family what was going on, and um, they said, you know, what What are you going to do differently? And I, you know, I still remember cringing inside, like, fuck you. What do you mean? What am I going to do differently? What kind of question is that? <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I just, I mean, this only thing that I can say is it had to have been a divine intervention because I knew about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and I picked up the phone and called central office and this was a Tuesday night and I I have to say this because it's very important to my sobriety but that was a Tuesday night and they said on the phone they said you're in luck there's a meeting on Wednesday morning and it's a women's meeting and it's at the token club the token three club over on Dutchman's Lane and I'd already I'd already been there when I was 21 so I knew where that was and I trudged up those stairs, and I my face was all busted up from that DUI, and I mean, I look like a newcomer, and I remember, still remember, sitting down, because I say, if I had gone to a meeting that had been a mixed meeting, I probably wouldn't have stayed. I probably would have manipulated my way out of it, and I probably wouldn't have stayed, but I can tell you, when I sat down in that chair, and I, I, I started listening to those women that were sharing, and of course, I was crying the whole time. But I heard those women say things, you know, I, I say, you know, I grew up in a, a Catholic school and, you know, we didn't have gym and I didn't really get to know any other. I never really knew other women. Well, at least they didn't talk like this. <laughs> That's what I knew. And I heard women saying things that were inside of my head and in my heart that I'd, I'd never heard other women talk or girls talk about. 
So I knew that I knew that this was this had to be it. This is what I was looking for. I didn't know what it was, but it was it started to make sense. And you know, <clears throat> I say this a lot, but it's very true. If I'd heard the word God, probably within the first month, I probably would have ran because I I wasn't ready to to embrace anything close to spirituality or religion or anything like that because I'd already brought my own baggage along with me as so many of us do. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I remember, and I remember very distinctly after that meeting, two women came up to me and they grabbed me and they hugged me. And, uh, one of them gave me their number and they said, we hope you keep coming back. And, um, they said, you know, they gave me very clear directions. Find yourself a sponsor. Go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I didn't know what else to do. So uh, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I found a sponsor. She was a good friend of mine, which I found out that's why you don't get sponsors that are friends. Because <laughs> 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 I, I, that, that didn't work out very well at all. And I had to get a new sponsor. And. Um, you know, I have a great story about, you know, my fifth step with my, with my sponsor at the time and how I had to become very comfortable, uh, with, with, with telling my truth to a number of women. And, um, and it was really, it was, it was very healing for me actually to be, to be able to be that vulnerable with other women, because there was a point in my life where, and I won't tell it on this, this, this podcast, but. There are some things in my life that um, I'll be very clear with you. I, I cannot judge anyone. I cannot judge anyone because, you know, I don't know if I'm going, I don't know if there is a hell or a heaven, but I don't know that I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that there is that, but I do know that there are things that I will never, ever, ever be able to make whole. Hmm. So, I hope to spend the rest of my life trying to do so. And that's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me. But that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my initial thought. You know, my initial thought was, I just, I did I was tired. You know, I'd spent my whole life running. I'd, my kids, you know, I was, I was, uh, I mean, my, my, the, their entire childhood, it was, I was always irritable. If we were doing something, it was when was this going to be over so I could go do what I wanted to do. I can relate to that. I was always irritable. I was never, ever present. I loved them to the best of my ability. I, I really did. I loved being with their energy. I loved them. But th that alcohol, you know, somebody told me early on in, in the meeting, um, I heard somebody say alcohol had become my master. And it was... It was very clear to me that alcohol, what, I mean, from the get-go was my, I mean, it was like a calling <laughs> from down deep inside my soul. And, and it was, it was never, it was always there. So nobody, nobody could supersede that. Nobody, nobody. And I had no idea. And when you talked about that, I just, I, I think that's what scares me the most is that I could be that far into denial about alcoholism so that also makes me very clear of what else I could be in denial of mm -hmm. and that's where I get scared 
that's where, you know, checking in with my sponsor on a daily basis, doing those nightly inventories and, and really trying to see my life as it is not how I want it to be or how I want it to look. Um, it's very important to me. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I, you know, each, each day is different. Um, but I can tell you that, um, you know, being sober, um, and learning how to, um, live life without uh the mask of alcohol was you know i remember sitting in a women's meeting and they were talking the girl was talking about going on vacation uh, a, a sober vacation I, I was just like inside of me i thought how the fuck do you yeah. go on vacation being sober i remember ruining a vacation because i couldn't drink so i could not imagine i mean how do you dance how do you date how do you do anything being sober what do you how do you do this and uh you know, I, that, that women's group was a, is a nine o'clock. Uh, and I think they still meet over at the token club at 9am. That women's group was, was became my, my support group. And they, I, I went through, you know, I, I heard them share things and then, you know, and I watched them stay sober and they gave me some hope. But what happened is, um, I was also able to go to uh, 730, uh, it was a Monday morning meeting and I went to that meeting and there was a lot of old time sobriety there and they really they were the they kind of like were the uh, I don't know maybe like the older bulls you know kind of um, pushing me you know kind of like kind of they were standing you know they were kind of showing me the ropes um, or you know showing us all and I, I mean that's I just remember, I, I, I remember I had so much respect for that meeting. And um, I remember I was uh, about five months sober. And that was where I learned the true meaning of the word we. Um, I was at that meeting and um, I had dodged, uh, I had dodged uh, uh, a jury duty. I had dodged it for years and I had finally gotten this notice and they were like, if you don't come do this, you're going to have this kind of fine and this kind of fine and this kind of fine. And uh, I had talked to a couple of women after that meeting and I told them and one of the, the ladies, her name was Barbie. I still I love her dearly. She she just she grabbed me and she said, let's go downtown together. And she took me down. She didn't know me from Adam. She yeah. took me downtown. And we went in front of whoever it was, and we got the jury thing straightened out. But she taught me at that moment what, how powerful that we is of the program. She taught me that there's nothing that I have to go through by myself. Right. Nothing. Yep. And uh, I'll never forget that. Um, and, you know, when I have the opportunity, I try to, to, to be a part of that we because it was so instrumental in my recovery, knowing that I didn't, number one, I had to figure out that I wasn't alone. And then number two, I could figure out that I didn't have to do it alone. So, um, you know, I talk about September, the, the uh, September, uh, 19th of 2005 being my sobriety date, but it was actually October the 26th of 2006 was a pivotal date for me because I found out that not only did I suffer from the disease of alcoholism I also suffered from a severe case of dishonesty (laughs) 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 and uh, I found that out through uh, Alka-Seltzer Plus (laughs) and uh, I yeah 
I, I was trying to help a friend of mine get sober, which again, I find out why you don't help people get sober. They either do or they don't. You don't help anybody. And it became more important to, for me, for her to get sober than it was for her. So I, uh, I, I, I had taken a dose of alcohol plus the night before, and I had remembered that it, had, it, I had a cold that night, and I remember it, it had calmed me down, and I'd gone to sleep. So the next night, the same thing was going on, except I didn't have the cold, but I had that anxious, you know, I wanted to do, wanted to do something for somebody when they didn't want it themselves, and uh, I remember I thought, well, I'm going to take some alcohol seltzer plus, and I did. And I called my sponsor at the time and she said, you know, Lisa, you're going to have to change your sobriety date. And we went back and forth about this for a long time. And I finally came to the realization that for me, this is a program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It wasn't a program of Alka-Seltzer Plus Anonymous. But it also made me very clear on, you know, I have a huge problem with dishonesty with myself. So, you know, um, those kids that, you know, I had, I was, I was incredibly dishonest with them when I first had that DUI. I didn't even tell them I had a DUI. Told them that I, uh, I, uh, I think a squirrel had run in front of the car and I had a car accident and, you know, they found <laughs> out squirrel. that, yeah, they found out I had a DUI. Their dad found it in the newspaper and, you know, that was pretty, it was pretty humbling. Um, but you know, it's funny because when we sat down here, we said, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time in the drunkalog. <laughs> and I feel like I've done that because, you know, the past 13 and a half years, in the past 13 and a half years, I've finally learned how to live in my own skin. Yeah. I've finally learned how to be a part of the human race. And in doing that, I've also learned that everybody else is just doing the very same thing. We're all just trying to learn how to live in our own skin. And, you know, when it was a long time before I finally understood, uh, I think it even talks about it in the big book. I'm not sure, but I I believe that the American Medical Society has actually um, deemed addiction as a medical as a as a mental illness yeah it's a disease it's yeah it's a disease and it's and that's actually i think shoot i think the first time it, if i'm not mistaken again this memory works pretty good so i could be wrong uh, i think it was 1971 when they actually first diagnosed it as a disease now, really the mental illness thing is more of a later more recent thing of looking at it as a mental illness and uh, my sponsor will talk about that you know that if you were bipolar or schizophrenic or something like that, we're not going. You, if you would just try harder, you yes. Know, you said the control thing. It's a yes. willpower. Uh, why don't you just, you know, act yourself into, you know, you, you into the right thinking. We can't, you know, you can't ask those people to do that, right? Uh, and and some of them must be uh, medicated because it's a chemical imbalance. Yes. The real cool thing for most of us is, is this this spiritual solution yes works for us where we don't have to have some other chemical to rebalance it that's exactly right that's exactly right because i do believe that um along with the disease of addiction i believe that most of us suffer i know i do from uh, a bit of add yep. you know it's i do i believe that thing. i suffer from a bit of uh, bipolar yep. i believe um you know i believe that there are some there are certain afflictions that i suffer from i don't have to take medication for those things not yet but I do have, I have to and be cognizant. Do. Yes, that's exactly right. Some need both. That's exactly right. And I think that's where that outside help comes in and that, that can be diagnosed yeah. properly. I can kind of get on a horse every once in a while where I want to think that this can do it all, you know. Yeah. I, I can kind of beat an AA drum pretty yeah. hard. 
uh, yeah. I, I come back down to earth fairly quickly too. But uh, but I also do have a thing of that. Uh, I don't know what we really have until we get this thing because uh, we look we look nuts in a whole bunch of different ways mm-hmm. when we're still active, right? Yes. So really, until we get this thing settled down. You really haven't like come down to some kind of plateau where you can go, okay, yeah, that's what else is going on. Yes. It's just too, the needle is everywhere. The compass needle is spinning so fast where they don't know where north, south, east, or west. And, uh, and, and the steps will help you settle down to where they can actually give you a proper diagnosis uh, after coming down, you know, after, after having this spiritual awakening. Yeah. 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 And it always makes, when you said that, it made me think about, you know, no human power. No human power. And that's very clear to me. No human power. No human power could have done what this has done in my life. No human power whatsoever. And I was, uh, you know, I remember going to that, uh, going to AA and I remember them saying, you got to get a big book. And I thought, what the fuck are they talking about? And meanwhile, I had a big book, didn't know it, but I thought it was (laughs) this, you know, 40 yep. pound book that I had to carry around and anyway and anybody knows what that is the first time I when the first time somebody brought said something to me about a big book I instantly thought of the Bible yeah I thought that's what they were asking me if I, I yeah I thought what in the hell are you talking about and you know I knew you all was talking religion dang on it oh, I didn't <laughs> hear that I didn't hear that and I'm so grateful I didn't because I had I had I had a very set I had I had walked away from religion yeah I said Pretty there's difficult. no way because I knew I was a bad person I knew in my soul I was a bad person, and I was never going to be good. I was never going to be right. So I wasn't even going to, like it, I'm not even going to try. You know, you circled around that a little bit uh, a minute ago, and I want to, you know, I, I, my, my, inst- my, my instinct is to correct that and say, you know, you haven't done anything so bad that it's not repairable. I just don't believe that in my heart. I, I have done, uh, is, you know, we've, we've done, we, because of our sickness, and because we were completely powerless, we have done some, you know, some of us have done some really awful things. But I think there's redemption behind all this stuff. I, I really do. I don't think there's anything that's so bad that doesn't get, that doesn't get uh, wiped clean. Uh, I don't know. Things. I that's don't my know. Belief. I don't know. I do know that a couple of years ago I was given a, uh, a service opportunity. Um, they were going to shut down uh one of the local clinics, and uh, it was one again. It was one of the last local clinics here in Louisville. Um, I won't say what that clinic was for, but I was able to go and uh, well, there was a rally to keep that clinic open, and that clinic is still open. And for me, I talked to my sponsor about it, but it was kind of a, it was kind of one of those moments where I got to make Indir- a little bit an indirect amends. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Very much so. You know, uh, that that sponsor I have talks a lot about indirect amends and ways you know a lot of people say I can't make this right and uh, and we say creative maybe mm-hmm. we had to get creative about how we're going to balance because what I feel like I'm doing and it's not I've been taught uh, that I'm balance you know the best way I can say it is balancing the karmic scales that's what I'm trying to to do again and some of us have imbalanced more than others but that's what we're, what we're it's a very you know, interesting I, way of I putting it I think that uh, you know because. We go to we. It's it's well known that we go to our deathbeds and people will go the things that they can't. All of a sudden, everything that they felt like they couldn't balance, could get right. The things the people that they couldn't uh, make amends, the things they couldn't make amends for, the relationships they couldn't fix, or you know, or make a repair, attempt to repair, all come flooding back on you. 
you know, and we have these tools here where we can actually do that rebalancing of the scales so that, that you can get back on even terms even with the keel. universe. Mm-hmm. That's where I, my higher power more lays in the world of like this universe, this source energy kind of thing. I'm not a deity kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then again, it doesn't make any difference what yours is. That's uh, obviously here's another thing I've learned is that, you know, the great thing about this program is that uh, I am encouraged to develop a uh, higher power of my own understanding. Mm-hmm. And then I am not rejected. Even more importantly than that, I'm not rejected for what I choose. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that is like world that wars and millions of people have died over the fact That's that right. they're rejected. That's over right. What they choose as their higher power. And, uh, man, that's a, just a key that's so big with us that we don't do that. You can sit around in these rooms and uh, and have completely different understandings of what a higher power is. And neither one, and, and for all practical purposes, we have the same one. That's right. It's a miracle. Well, and that's, yes. And in fact, I was at a meeting the other day, and I, there was, it was a very, it was controversial for me because the meeting was all about God, and I kept thinking, I hope there's not any newcomers in yeah, here because that's going to, but. but uh, you know, what I look at, too, you know, like. When I want a Coke, I want a Coke. If I want to hand you a thing of tissues, I call it a Kleenex. Yeah. You know, yeah. God is no different than calling this thing Kleenex, even though this is generic Kroger band box of tissues. Yes. You know, yes. I, that's the way I wrap myself. But that's my, that's also a lot of evolution. Jesus word. Yes. I flinch at God still. Yes, I know? do too. I do that. And especially like you said, like, you know, oh my God, what are they going to do? But you know, a minute ago, you just, we were just having a conversation. We don't have the power to get somebody well, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this God word in here in this group doesn't have the power to do that that's either. exactly right and, uh, it's, and, and that's the I'll other thing thinking it yeah because really the, the truth the is is that i mean if somebody doesn't want to be sober whether the word god or, or a fly goes across the room they're not going to stay sober. i mean it doesn't matter yeah. but i think that the bigger part of it is just what you had talked about and what i had to come to and what we i believe that you know that that's the ultimate goal is to 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 finally get to the point where I don't have to be in control. I'm not in control. I mean, that's the truth. You know, it's it's powerlessness. I mean, it's being completely and totally vulnerable to the universe. You know, I, within within the realms of my own responsibility of, you know, of, you know, taking care of my job or whatever. But the rest of it, I don't, I mean, I have, you know, my sponsor says that all the time. You know, I have control over two things, you know. And that's what I do and what I say. I don't even have control over what I think. You know, we had a conversation the other day because it's become this at this portion of my program. I don't know why or how, but it's become I feel like I'm always a late bloomer <laughs> <laughs> because it's all it's become very important to me. The last three steps uh, of the program and how they are pivotal to our lives on a daily basis. Because, you know, they're, like you said, you know, I do remember the exercise of making that first, you know, fourth step and making that first third step and making, you know, making that first, doing that first fifth step. I remember those exercises and that first amends. I remember that so clearly. But most things really are living. It's just learning how, and, you know, yes, owning my responsibility. That was a huge thing for me, you know, but... Um, growing up as I did, I took, I tend to take on way too much responsibility for things that I don't need to have responsibility for. So I think there's a delicate balance for that. And that's where I have to go to my sponsor. But, um, the third, the, the, the last three steps are the, 
kind of my, my, my daily house cleaning thing. And I said to my sponsor the other day, I have to share this because I, I just love it because it's just the way my brain thinks. I still think that I'm in the outsider. I still think that, you know, I'm going to somehow I'm going to walk across that magical bridge. And, uh, I said to her the other day, I said, uh, so when you do your 10th step at night, do you, you know, do you answer no to these questions? You know, were you angry? Were you, you know, afraid? Did you have resentment? You know, do you own amends? And, and I was thinking, you know, she's going to say, I answer no, you know, I, I, I don't, I wasn't angry. I wasn't afraid. Cause I'm thinking I can be, be resentful in the most beautiful place on vacation. I mean, that's just the way my brain works, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's all about me. And uh, she she started laughing, and she said, Lisa, I answer yes to pretty much every one of those questions every day. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> but I think it, what it helps me to do is it just becomes, I become more cognizant of my behavior. And then, you know, if there's there needs to be a shift and there needs to be something changed, then obviously, you know. Yeah. I think it's a constant game of course correction. So that's exactly right. That sailing thing. No that's matter exactly what, right. how straight your keel is and how everything blows, you still end up off course. And and the other thing is, is you know, this is yoga gave me this concept of this being in true north alignment, mm-hmm. my own true north alignment, having my soul in alignment with my spirit and 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 with my higher power. So that and I will know today. I have tools that when I start getting off course, I can bring it back. Because if I get a little bit off course today and I bring it back, I'm okay. Yes. But if I get a little bit off course and I go a long ways, then down there, I'm way off course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we're just playing this thing and be conscious of that. Be aware of it. Have tools to correct it. Have people around us that will help when we can't see it, mm-hmm. you know, that we get to talk to, you know, and all these things. These are just magnificent principles that uh, allows a guy like me to operate that design for living that Bill said that. Uh, yeah. I got some tools on how. Now, I also what that does is open up and I will. It gets a little bit funny and I, and I and I won't stall this most of the time. But when I have somebody new in front of me, I do. I'll stall for a second on this was what my sponsors rewritten some of this stuff and in the 11th step he says through prayer and meditation and various other things Mm -hmm. that we go on to improve our conscious contact which might be therapy might be you know for me some yoga some all these you know the tools that are out available for us to grow spiritually because like it says in the beginning of the book when it talks about a gm or whoever that failed to enlarge his spiritual life yeah 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 you know uh the tools that we have at our disposal today especially like through internet and that just to get exposed to things the the we have a we have an endless supply of tools that will allow us to continue to improve your conscious contact with your higher power uh, today that were that never was even thought about when that book was written. There yeah. weren't even uh, even fathomable about what we have at our disposal today to that tools that allow me to continue to to stay in some kind of alignment. It should be you know, I, you know, I find it rather easy. Mm-hmm. I find this program easy to stay on mm-hmm. to stay moving in a direction now i pour a lot of my i do a lot of service work these podcasts is part of it i mm-hmm. consider this is uh this is part of my service part of my participating in my recovery but i like the way that you were saying that that uh yeah to have that probably supposed to answer yes i'm angry every day because mm-hmm. then i start thinking i'm, I'm getting cured mm-hmm yeah well i thought that uh there was something wrong with me i mean you know again um you know i i mean my my one of my first sponsors 
Hazel, I'll just say her name. She was absolutely, she was, she, she was the one that helped me to mend the most. She really did. She helped me to heal. And I remember her telling me, she gave me permission to be angry. And I was like, woohoo, I get to be angry. I mean, really, like, really angry. Shut myself in a car and scream and yell and cuss God if I want to. You know, whatever. Just get it out of your system. You have to feel. But, I mean, you know, she would say, you know, she'd do that little map, you know, are you mad, you sad, you glad, you know. And, I mean, it was like, she would say, Lisa, babies get angry. And I was like, huh? You know, that's a natural human reaction, Lisa. You can be angry. Yeah. It's what you do with it. It's just like, you know, when you said this really early on, but I think even in the, I, I think I read the Daily Reflection this morning, I think, it, or maybe it was yesterday, but it was talking talking about uh, uh, substantiated, uh, what is it, what do they call it? Substantiated uh, resentments, or I don't know how you say that. Um, but I mean, people are going to do things to you, you know, people are going to do crazy things, you know, but I, and, you're and, not, yeah, you're not going to be free of that. It's no, not the, what we have is tools to deal with it today that I never had. Yes, 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 yes. Same thing with fear. Same thing with the rest of this stuff. It doesn't it's not going to go away. away. You know, a friend of mine said, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing here, I'm not living free from fear. I'm not leaving, living free from resentment. What I'm doing is I'm learning to live with them. That's right. You know, I'm learning to deal with them because it's right. just a fact of life. You know, stuff happens. I remember clearly about two two and a half years ago, I remember having a, a very clear thought. Maybe it was a little bit longer, but I remember having a very clear thought that I was going to have to get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. Yeah. I remember that so vividly. And I had to make friends with being uncomfortable. And that's, that's, that's a, for an yeah. alcoholic, that's a very yeah. weird place to be in. Yeah. I smile because of some parallels in my life. Like when I've just graduated this yoga teacher training thing, and mm-hmm. that is something we say when we're posing, when we're holding poses that are difficult. Yes. Part of that is learning to be comfortable, you know, finding some comfort in the discomfort, finding some ease in the dis-ease part of it. You yes. Know, finding that, you know. And so this whole thing of, like, practicing stuff, you know, like, it becomes a way bigger thing to me when I'm practicing that, and then life hits me in some way, you know, and I'm like, I, I in some completely different realm on a mat in a pretty uh, sterile atmosphere, I'm practicing being uh, finding some comfort when I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when I get into a life position, you know, those things will just instantly, because I've been practicing that, will instantly convert over into this also. Mm-hmm. That I will be able to find some comfort here. And I'm not, oh, hey, this is just uncomfortableness. This does not mean I have to come unglued. Mm-hmm. It does not mean I have to get, uh, do anything rash. I don't have to hurt anybody because of it. I don't have to run. That's my my number one conflict avoidance tool, without a doubt, is run. Oh, yeah. Bolt. Oh, yeah. It's making it. I still struggle with that. Oh, yeah. I struggle with that in relationships. If it gets a little bumpy, man, I'm, I'm out of here. I hit the fucking Exit button stage fast, left. man. Yep. Uh, this See you is later. not worth it. Yep. Uh, but, I, you know, again, I have the... I know we use it a lot to pause when agitated. Mm -hmm. That's great. What Mm -hmm. I find myself today doing more times than not is when I have to pause when doubtful. It's pause when agitated or doubtful. Uh, When I don't know what to do, uh, I have a pause button. And that's what the yoga's given me and meditation and other things like that have given me this pause button in my life where I have the ability to stop and not 
uh, react to these things that, that happens in life. We were at a home group meeting last night and some people have shared some really deep stuff and obviously I'm not going to get into the details of it, but heart-wrenching things, you know, and and I've been through some pretty rough stuff that I really haven't shared on the, on the podcast. Uh, at least I don't think I have. Uh, in sobriety. And I know that the tools work because these guys, this family, you were talking about this women's home group, uh, and these were all, I think there's, I think there's a very powerful thing. I think all women need and all women stuff. You know, I think mm-hmm. that is, to me, that's like a, not a, that's a non-negotiable. In that's my, right. I'm not, I'm not right. My men's home group is that way for me because those guys in this, that, that, that net, that safety net that I have underneath of me, if I will let them, that's the key. I'm willing to let them they will not let me fall that's right so when life hit me on life's terms in a way that I was no way that I could have survived this back in the madness this these arms of all these men when I let them come underneath me and carried me yeah. so I have that testify to be able to testify to that last night when these other guys are going through hard stuff to go if you will get in the middle of this circle here's what I did yeah. And it will happen for you too. And yeah. You know, and I see, oh, you know, I can look around in the eyes of people and watch them doing what you're doing. Yeah. And watch how we get to do things that there's no way we really ought to be able to survive it, really. There's yeah. not. But we do in this program. We do. We have arms and, and a support system and tools that will allow a person to not only maintain, because maintaining sobriety is cool, right? Yes. Uh, we maintain our serenity and our sanity. Yes. Well, we we become whole. Yeah, a whole person, not walking around like a shell of myself. Yeah, get stripped down. Yes. Yeah, that's what you know. To me, this is what this is uh, recovery's done for me. Is is let me. You said something parallels the same thing. Uh, I found my true self here. Mm -hmm. That's what I found here. Mm -hmm. I can found. You're saying being comfortable in your skin or something. I think is another way Mm -hmm. to put it. Is to be. uh, is that what you I can't remember exactly how you worded it something like that how to be comfortable with myself yeah. or how to be comfortable on my own skin yes yeah. I mean like I wasn't I mean I don't feel like and I think I mean you know it's funny because I can look at AA and look at you know other parallels in life and I believe that as a human being I think we all look for the same that's pretty much the same things we are you know we want acceptance you yep. know that the community that you find in alcoholics anonymous but the wonderful part is you know what i found in my recovery is and that's where the traditions really help me with the other groups in my life so that i can they can all kind of meld together because that's really what it teaches me aa to me is like you know everything that i should have learned in kindergarten i learned in aa i really did you know like i learned like i started going to my my home group is uh I have two home groups. I have uh, the the Worms, uh, which is uh, Tuesday through uh, Friday, 7 a.m. to 7.45. And I started with that group when it was very beginning, and it was only like seven people, and I think there was two women. And, you know, I was taught early on, you know, the women, you know, you guys got to, we have to stick together. They they would tell me, you know, the men are going to pat you on the ass, and the women are going to pat you on your back, and you got to stay with the women. And, uh, I mean, of course, I had to, you know, go through my own. I won't yep. get into that. But, I mean, obviously, I had to break as many rules. I mean, I'm a rule breaker, right, yep. you know. But, um, you know, yeah, that. Bigger uh, than the rules. Oh, yes. And they're never, it's never. My mother would say to me, why do you think you're going to be so different, Lisa? And I would think, do you, do you not know me? Yeah. 
you know i mean and i, I look at people and I, I i call them the normal people like right. she's one of the normal people she, yeah. she'll rein me back in she'll be like mom you know you don't have to react to this you know, or stop, you know, and I'll be like, okay, and, you know, like what you were talking about, you know, uh, religion. I mean, religion's been around for a bazillion years. People They'll probably saved civilization at some point. They've been doing this. They've been doing this thing that I had to learn at 38, which I really didn't learn then. You know, they've been doing this all, you know, I, it's just, it's, it's, but ultimately the, the bottom line of what I've learned in this program, yes, there have been a million gifts. You know, one of those gifts is I have, uh, I have so much, my life is so rich. I have so, I mean, I, I have so much and my only goal is to try to give back as much as I possibly can. And, and sometimes that's, that's like, I'm like a helpless puppy and it, sometimes I need to stop because it, <laughs> some people don't, you know, but, um, I'm grateful for my life today. You know, I, I'm very clear that that day, that night behind the wheel, you know, I was never a suicidal person, but I believe that I could have killed myself. Well, you know, I mean, I think it happens every day and I do very, very firmly believe that if I were to drink again, I'm very clear that maybe that first, it may be that first beer uh, that might be okay. It might be okay, but I'm very clear on where it would end up. I'm very clear. And I do not want my story to end that way. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't. So, but I, I have been taught enough in this program to know that whatever I'm going through, whatever's going on in, in life, that I, there, I have a community, I have a sponsor, I have a higher power more than anything. And if I can just hold on, everything changes. And if I could only say one last thing, the most important lesson that I've learned in this program, I learned from a lady that passed away about three months ago from uh, cancer. And she looked at me one day and she said, um, it's very clear to me, Lisa, that we are not put on this earth for ourselves. And she taught, and this was a woman that used the word Jesus. And I mean, I would get around her and I would close my ears because I couldn't stand to hear that word. Yeah. But I mean, I grew up with it. And, uh, you know, I mean, she taught me a powerful, powerful lesson and because that's what this really is. It's, it's about, you know, it's about all of us together. Yeah. One of my very favorite lines in that book is that uh, we have uh, yet we have begun to scratch a, a limitless load. That oh, the only requirement yeah. is that we continue to mine it and yes. give the entire. I think about that. I think about that because I'm not as I'm not as, uh, and this is probably not a big surprise, but I'm not as uh, vigilant. Like so, I'll go through phases where I'll meditate and I'll read, you know, eighty six, eighty seven. I'll do my morning meditations and then. I'll go through phases where I'll do it on a consistent basis and then I won't. And then, you know, and then it'll come back to me and it's just like mining that gold. Yeah. It's like yep. there's so that's much of a course correction benefit. too that you become aware of that. Well, hold on. I'm, I'm not doing what I, I don't feel right. Well, I'm not, what am I not doing that I used to do when I felt better? Yes. And then to get back into doing that, you do a like mini inventory and say, okay, what am I yeah. not doing? And yeah. And I also know, you know, I stood in front because I know my life was, you know, I, I was, I stood in front of a judge here in New Army, told me I was going to prison for 20 years, five years ago. And, uh, and I didn't spend a day in jail. And it was because I started working this stuff and it was the magic of this, you know, it's, it's unexplainable. 
there's no real reason that should happen. Now watch other people do it. But also what I also see, because I am vigilant in some areas, I know that uh, like my life is so full of blessings today, it's crazy. And it's been given gifted to me in some way. And I don't really know the exact dynamic of that. But I also watch how, man, when you like turn your back on it, Man, the scales tip quickly. It's wicked. Uh, you know, I, you watch somebody like, uh, and, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, relapse is a part of doing this thing at some point. So I don't want to, like, you know, like drive a nail in the coffin in that direction necessarily, unnecessarily. But, you know, I can well, I have witnessed some people, you know, relapse and how fast the, the rug gets jerked out from underneath of them when that, you know, and that's where I go with that universal karma thing mm -hmm. that like when the karma is right and I'm like, uh, cause that's some more yoga stuff, the Dharma and the karma. Am I going, am I doing my, the Dharma is my duty, my, my life, my compass needle. What should, what, what is my path? Mm -hmm. Uh, when I stop walking the path, man, you fall off the edge of the cliff quickly. It's a narrow path. I, some of the, some of the stuff like the, the biblical stuff really hits home to me today. Cause there's a lot of good lessons yes. there that they you know like the gate is narrow you know the path is narrow mm -hmm. you know and it is uh I, if i if i get too far off the path man i i will fall quickly I, I will begin to wander off path and and have trouble getting and the further off that path i get the harder it is to come back to it um i owe a certain you know there's an accountability here for my personal level that i owe to aa to continue to practice this stuff that's right and and continue to give it away and be in a position right. that i want i'm standing around uh doing you know especially like you know and and, and and you know there's a dynamic here with this podcast that i'm up in my insurance mm -hmm. you know? yes uh because i'm standing here talking a lot of talk right yes and and in the same vein i know that i you know that i need to be walking the walk also yes you know, and it's not like a tip for tech kind of thing no that's not what it is at all no but it's like looking in the mirror yeah i mean because like keeps, right it now holds I'm, me yes, accountable. that's right i remember somebody uh <laughs> i love him he's in my home group but he used to say you know, nobody drives down the road in a, st in a straight line. And I love that, you know, because it's the truth. We all yeah, kind of go in between. The, yes. Yep. Yes. And, and somebody else, uh, they said, uh, my mind is like, a, it's like a boat that's, you know, when I go to bed at night, I'm shored up, I'm locked down, I'm tied to the pier. And then through the night, you know, my, my, my line gets loose and I go, you know, I can go. And that's what, you know, that's what I think about when I think about relapse. Because it's just that, it's just that, that slow, um, gradual, it's like my dad used to say about insanity. You never know you're insane because it's just, you kind of just slip under. Yeah. And I, I totally believe that. It's Some like one day without going, and... you know, to a meeting. And I've done that. I've gone two weeks without going to a meeting. And I, my kids will, you know, at first they were like, you know, why, why, when are you going to be home, Mom? And then they were like, when are you going to go to a meeting? Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like, you got to get, you know. Because that was the one place I knew I, especially early on, that I could find some relief. And even now, I know I can always find relief in service work. I know I can. Yep. Uh, Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But I know that it's there. Like I said, those principles of, you know, we say we do this. And I really don't know anybody, to be honest. I, and I can say this, well... With like a hundred percent certainty today, in a way, you know that if you work, you work these steps, you'll get a sponsor. Work these steps and practice these principles. Really do them. Uh -huh. You don't relapse. It's a hundred percent guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Is you, where you stop doing things 
is where you end up slipping back and going back if you actually yeah. put these things i don't think uh you know there's a whole bunch of little things like this is not a program of some get it and some don't it's a program of some do and some don't mm -hmm. this is doing these things uh putting action behind them um sit down and i've said this before on here and i begin to think i'm like repeat myself but this this is pretty simple really at some level mm -hmm. uh, it could be as complicated as you want oh to, it is but if you uh sit around and talk to somebody that is not happy with their program that is struggling in some place if i can interview them for a few minutes i will find generally will find out what they're not doing that's usually where it's at. They're mm -hmm. not meditating. They're not praying. They're not 12-stepping. They're not doing service work. They're not doing a nightly inventory. You know, it's been a long time since they've been through the steps. You know, I mm -hmm. believe the steps are a thing we go through multiple times mm -hmm. over our lifetime. I don't think it's a one-and-done thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's when it says continue, mm -hmm. and that's what that mm -hmm. means. Uh, so I think that's pretty. it's pretty simple to, to look at it like that. But doggone if it ain't easy to put the tools down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because life, life happens. Yeah. You know, I got married. I got married four years ago. Talk about working a program <laughs> or not working a program. Being married in, in the program and with uh, to another alcoholic. That, I mean, that oh, old. A sober alcoholic. It's, yes. So he's, yeah, he's very sober. And it's very. Uh, it's I just wanted to make sure that got clarified there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very, uh, it's it's alive and well. And, uh, I mean, the So that's a principles. I mean, yeah. right? because uh, yeah. I don't know if you've listened to my thing here I'm big on this like oh then we do gratitude lists and things but I was also taught early on to do this miracle list oh yes 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 and, and, and I write them so down today many. you know and I, yes. and I actually have the list I have a list of them and I always like to make sure that we talk about at least a few of them wow the part before the person gets out of here on the podcast and uh uh, just was curious maybe if you could think anything come to mind on that you could maybe talk about in that department yes Yes. Well, I could always, I could always talk about that. There's there. I mean, my life is, is so full. I ended up, um, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start with the gratitude. I can tell you that I ended up leaving the bartending business and I've been in transportation for the past 10 years and I work for, um, a very small company and they're very good to me. Um, and I've, I've, I have, a, I have a wonderful skill set that I would have never been able to pay for in college. Um, I, I am responsible today. I can show up for work and yeah. I can be responsible and I can be emotionally responsible. That's a big one for me. But, uh, I mean, they're there. I, I have a relationship with my children, yeah. which is very precious to me. Absolutely. Um, because I believe that they are, you know, they're the future, you know, yep. they relationships restored especially those really close ones i mean that is one of the huge big miracles that happens in this and we hear it you know a lot when we're when you're with a new guy about the damage they've done or new yes. gals about the, they don't think it can be repaired right yeah uh, and, and families are restored reassembled, yes. as the book says yes and stopping the cycles you know i mean talking about this you know i Talk, I was talking to uh, that young lady that I told you that went to college, that's going to college right now, and she said uh, she was doing a piece on addiction, and somebody came up to her, and she said, you know, my, my sister died from a uh, heroin overdose because she could never be honest. She could never, she, she was so, because of the stigma around addiction, mm -hmm. and that's, I guess, if I could say anything, I don't care about saying my last name. I don't care. I used I to say myself as my first and last name when I'm in meetings and I do it. No I do what too. And I'm I don't in. care but that my, my sponsor used to say to me, she would say, Lisa, there's a, there's a thing about being too, uh, what'd she say? Too, too anonymous. Uh, anonymous. 
because people will come in and they'll they'll introduce themselves as a pet name and you know if that pet name goes to the hospital how are you yeah. going to find them yeah, yeah a, so there's a favorite speaker of mine that talks about that same thing and he he says uh he goes to the hospital and he says yes i'm here to see janet from another planet yeah dr bob's or uh yeah dr bob says in his book in that uh the uh, um good old timers is mm-hmm. that what it's called that that not saying your la- withholding your last name in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is as, uh, as much of an anonymity break as going press radio and stuff because we must begin to know each other. We need to know each other. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have a quote. I have a whole lot of those quotes. It's actually, he, he is, so I can like, you know, when, when I get a little bit of like a prove it, Mm-hmm. Uh, that that memory thing uh, works really well. When it doesn't, <laughs> I have I actually have a ton of notes in here to help remind myself. And you can find it. You can Google it and find it. Uh, he he said we should be saying our last names in meetings. Yeah, I I mean I firmly I mean that's for that's just for me. Right, yeah. But I, yes, I said that so I'm allowed to break my yes, own. Yes, I can't do yours. That's right. That's right. And I mean I don't care. I don't care who knows. I told my bosses early on. Of course, I learned that. You know, I've learned over the years that. You don't tell everybody, but yeah, I mean, right, I, I, and, and I also have another thing. Um, you know, I used to, when I would drink so much, I would, I mean, I, my very favorite thing would be to throw up so I could drink more. And, uh, nowadays, um, one of my favorite things is when I go to the bathroom, I usually try to pray before I leave the bathroom and I'm always, you know, praying on my knees and I, I laugh about it now because I would think, you know, I wonder if somebody thinks I'm throwing up and yeah, now of course, uh, you know, I don't. I just don't care. It's like, it's, it's funny though. Cause it's like uh, praying in a new place, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's, I believe in the, I, I firmly believe in the power of prayer. Me too. I watch outcomes change. Yes. I've watched outcomes change and you can't tell me any different. I believe that with a 100%. And that started, you know, like I said, that started with my home group watching their lives change. I got to physically sit up front and have a front row seat of how it happened. And I, 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 I witness it every day. Yeah, we've got a little group that we do, and we've got these groups on the Internet that we that we stay in contact, this home group of guys I'm talking about, stay in contact. We're probably a little, you know, some people might think it might be too much contact. Uh, but a guy's wife had, uh, he sent out the alarm, and his wife was having a seizure, and she was in really bad shape, and she was like, and she had been surviving cancer. She'd been getting chemo. She'd been having some pretty heavy-duty stuff and she has a seizure at home and he's calling 911 at the same time while he's waiting he's asking us and we're praying for her wow. and we send out the prayer chain and i will cry talking about this we send out the prayer chain to you know 40 or 50 dudes man and they're all praying for him and they get to the hospital and they get her in there and they can't find nothing's wrong with her and he comes back with his text and says man i think i overreacted and i said no man i think 50 guys real powerful prayer changed the freaking mm. outcome brother yeah. and i believe that yeah, I do too. We I are, do too. Uh, spiritual warriors, you know. Uh, we I believe that there's something else. Yeah. I do. I do. A good friend of mine, and he's very clear on being atheist. He's very clear on it, and he's written several books. And I really, I so appreciate him because that opens up the door for so much. Yep, yep. I got a really close friend, same similar kind of thing. Although he hasn't written any books, but he's yeah. He just has a completely different angle on this, and but it's the same stuff. And it's taught me, you know, it's helped me open my mind to some mm-hmm. things. But and I think it's you know, there's a thing at some place about iron sharpens iron kind of thing where mm-hmm. when we rub together like that, if we do it in a positive manner, we sharpen each other. 
And, uh, and I think that's what happens when, when we allow ourselves to not reject us. That gets back to that. You know, I'm not going to reject you for the higher power, whatever it is. Because there's, there's always something, right? There's something people are leaning on. Uh, yes. Even though this is, they won't put the labels of atheists and the same thing with all those labels of different denominations and things. Uh, it's uh, these human words, yeah. the sounds we make when we grunt. <laughs> Don't really uh, adequately describe this stuff. So um, we are at an hour and 50 minutes. Can you believe that? Wow. I bet she can believe that. <laughs> Did you? So you've been doing school work? For a job? For an application? Yeah, we're talking to the phantom person in the room. They're not really in there. <laughs> She's the wind beneath my wings. Yeah. She's everything that I ever wanted to be. So we got a couple more minutes, and I like to stay under that two hour. There's another thing about the two hour mark. I told my sponsor this when he was here the other day. It also God. that the actual file uh-huh. size gets beyond. Once it gets to a certain size, I start have to decrease the quality to yeah. get it loaded out. Uh, the place that I do has a limit on how big the file can be. Uh, it's not a big deal, but I do. I need that limit in my life. You know, I need the guardrails. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Guardrails. Any lines on the road. Uh, yeah. So this is kind of that's a little metaphor to me. That's like, okay, I got these lines. So tell me one more. Uh, uh, give me a miracle. Give me something that you can. Uh, I have my father in my life. My go. father was. Uh, he's he's. I mean, and that's that's because of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that would have never been true because I was taught that he didn't want to be a part of my family. Uh, of me, you know, he didn't want me in his family. And uh, I think when I was twenty one or twenty two, I even told him to go fuck off. And. Uh, uh, I was four or five years sober, and uh, my sponsor at the time said, Lisa, I think you need to heal. This needs to heal. And mm. she encouraged me to go, and my daughter was with me at the time. We were doing a fifth step, and she, my daughter went downstairs to the computer at her, my sponsor's house, and she pulled up my uh, father's uh, name uh, on the computer and uh, found his telephone number in Lexington. She said, you know, is it this? And there was two of them, and I said, I don't know. And uh, I called the f- the next day, I called the very first number, and it was him. Wow. And he started crying. He said, I've been waiting for this phone call wow. for 15 or 20 years. That is juice. And he is a, he's a powerful, he's not, he's not one of us. Um, but I can definitely tell that, that I am his daughter. <laughs> and uh, he's a powerful force in my life. That is super cool. Yeah. Uh, the power of this program has no limits. It really doesn't. Uh, I try to carry that message the best I can as I'm walking around, and uh, that's part of why I do these podcasts. So that these, you know, you get to hear these circuit speakers, and I'm a big speaker tape guy, and, I, and there's a lot of great stuff out there too. But uh, we've got everyday heroes kind of things walking around, yeah. as uh, lives have been saved as a, as a result of this program. And uh, I don't know, one day it was uh, led. I just got led to doing this little podcast here uh, i'm pretty happy about that we just went and i was just all launched at the beginning of this year and we were at, we, we crossed over two thousand listens the other day which wow. to me that's that's know, pretty amazing that seems pretty good to me and when i look at it as a startup no no real help mm-hmm. uh and it's getting around uh like i have a facebook page that supports it so uh well let's just go there um first off i really really appreciate you coming in tonight today thank you 
uh, I'm just I get excited and, and, and Robin helping me get new guests and get people I don't know is because it's pretty cool when I sit across the table because sometimes I'll sit across the table for somebody I know that I just haven't heard her story and I mm-hmm. know them pretty well but I haven't heard it uh, but there's something cool I get this whole well-rounded thing where I get these people that I've just met because we just met today mm-hmm. although you told me something a little bit earlier and I remember when in 2011 to time frame 2011 2012 I'm almost certain I worked in DuPont Circle Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I made a run at getting sober. And I was coming over to the Worms meetings on a regular basis. I was coming over from that 7 to 7.45 or whatever. Yeah. And I could get to work by 8. Yep. And I'm pretty sure I remember you from those meetings. Uh, and, uh, so back to that, I just get to know people sitting here like this, you know. And that's this the same thing, that opposite of addiction is connection. I was yes. beginning to build my safety net deeper and deeper, strand by strand, yes. spider web by spider web, out to every corner that I can possibly yes. get a web attached to. I have been working on doing that, and this podcast lets me do that, and, and the guests that, you know, the people that people bring in, too, and it's just, uh, it's been just a huge blessing. Uh, so we have a Facebook page called Spiritual Underground. Uh, you can find that. You can find the podcast on it where there's links to these and some other things. Uh, spiritualunderground.org is a website that supports this podcast. You can see pictures and, uh, and show notes and, and uh, contact me if you want to talk to me or if you want to uh, try to be if you want to be on the podcast or, or any way you think I might be able to help. Music around this thing is by Darren Frank. And go out to Amazon and get Christopher Cohn's new book, 12 Step Spiritual Recovery. Bring in these 12 steps. I joke around and we've said uh, for as long as I've been here, we've heard this phrase that said, I wish everybody had these steps in their life. But this for the first time, I've seen somebody actually taking some action to try to do that, to try to look at the spiritual malady in a way that it's not necessarily did you have to drink or anything else, anything else. Because we know that addiction stuff, based. Yeah, yes, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have got a behavior or an addiction to be able to use the 12 steps to, right. to better your life. That's right. And the other thing I say to people is, do you have any room? And this is I got this from my sponsor. Uh, do you have any room for better? Could your life be any better? You know, and I don't think there's anybody that could answer that question. No. I mean, everybody has some room for better, right? Mm-hmm. And we say better with a capital B. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if your life, if I could promise you 5 to 10% better, would you take it? Well, I would hope you would, you know. Otherwise, you're settling for less than what this universe has to offer you. So that's what we're trying to get out with that 12-step spiritual recovery thing is to try to make this thing available to more people, more humans. Uh, it's, it's, it's just another way I get to practice these principles it's mm-hmm. the way i get to participate in my recovery there you go and it opened up a whole new pool of like sponsees too mm-hmm. you know and these aren't quite you know i got it in my head that maybe they're not quite as crazy as <laughs> alcoholic newcomers uh, i really have a heart for that alcoholic newcomer mm-hmm. and doing that though man watching somebody bloom and come to life is yes. uh, a huge blessing i mean it's just, yes. it's just unreal well again thank you very much uh i love having you in here today and uh i love your glow i love your energy that's hmm. uh it's uh it's fun to to see you get to really i don't know i feel like i feel people when i'm mm-hmm. sitting like there's a heart connection something mm-hmm. happens uh thank you all for listening thanks for all those listens out there share this thing uh, um, get the word out and uh let's keep seeing what we can do to help make this big blue marble just a little bit better than it was yesterday peace out well i never met anyone like you tender heart in eyes burning blue And I don't know how you do the things you do I just know that baby you're
Baby, you're alright. 